The Viridian Nutrition range of 200 plus award-winning products includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, nutritional oils, specialty supplements, tinctures and balms. All formulated to be helpful, efficacious and pure. By choosing our Viridian Nutrition range, you are one step closer to your goal of 100% wellness. Ethical vitamins with an organic heart. Available at all Browns outlets. Browns and you. There are billions of women passing through similar experiences all around the world and for whatever reason, we often feel like we're alone. It's time to make a point of discussing these topics from a range of viewpoints. These conversations surpass age, race, location. They are relevant to women everywhere. Welcome to The She Word. Conversations that women rarely have, but really should. I'm Sasha, your host for this edition of The She Word, the Young Women Edition, where we are going to have conversations which are more related to a younger demographic. This episode is set to dive straight into young women and mental health. But before I go introducing our guests, I'd like to bring up some points and statistics. When it comes to women, one in five women experience a common mental health disorder such as anxiety or depression, compared with one in eight men. 47% of women were considered at high risk of developing mental health disorders compared to 36% of men. 25.7% of young women have self-harmed, more than twice the rate of young men. And women are nearly twice as likely as men to be diagnosed with depression. With all this being said, let's dive straight into our show. I've invited three women which all share the mission of raising awareness about mental health, um, especially within the local sector. Be it through their own careers, art, or their social media presence, they are all passionate about shedding more light onto an otherwise often stigmatized topic. So without further ado, with me today I have Lea Vella, who is a psychology graduate who worked with Agencia Support for almost two years while she was getting her degree and is currently working with the Richmond Foundation as a mental health recovery officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a really honor to be here. I'm really excited for this. I don't know what to expect. I'm really looking forward to see what comes up. Um, it's a really interesting topic that can never get enough light on. So thank you for having Agreed. me. <laughs> Agreed. And I think today is going to be a very powerful discussion that is going to be very fruitful to for women sure. out there. For sure. I think everyone's uh, experienced, I think at one point or another, everyone has experienced um, with mental health. So to have the platform to talk about it, especially on the women's side, I think that's really interesting. Amazing. So, thank you. Amazing. <laughs> um, secondly, we have Emma Ajus the woman and artist whose story undoubtedly touched all of us and who is currently making a brilliant use of her art and social media as an outlet for coping and raising awareness. Hi. Hello, Emma. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for thank coming. You for, thank you for giving us the space to talk and speak up our mind. Thank you. Thank you for accepting the invitation to be here. I'm very, very honored to have you on this table. And finally, Tiffany Camilleri who is also a psychology graduate, but has now more into the marketing sphere, right? Mm -hmm. um, who has often used her social media platform to speak out about mental health and with a special focus on her journey getting off benzos. Like this is happening right now. Yes. Thank you for coming, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Um, again, it's a pleasure, as the others mentioned. I'm really glad, glad to be here. So have the space and just like shed light on these topics. I feel like they really should be talked about more. Make I it agree. less of a taboo. 
yeah yeah and like we have the power to 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 transform them you know mm-hmm. into something which is more like out there like we shouldn't be ashamed of talking about exactly. these things and that's important so ladies a massive welcome to you all on the show and thank you for accepting the invitation to be here once again so now after i've just briefly introduced all of you and before we delve into our discussion into mental health i'd like you all to take a moment to introduce yourselves Leah, <laughs> you want to kick us off so uh, i'm 22 years old i've graduated last year I have an honors degree in psychology and um, I used to work as a support worker with Adjazia support so people who have disabilities and in the residential setting and I currently work as a mental health recovery officer um, uh, which means I help people in the community most people who have been to Mount Carmen or are resettling back into the community due to the mental health condition um, I've also just been certified by Richmond as a mental health first aid instructor. So, yeah, that's a little about me. Um, my experience with mental health, I've uh, experienced anxiety from a very young age and uh, OCD as well. So I, I also have my own experience. And working in the sector, it's like you get your first-hand experience. But then you also have my personal side where I'm also the patient or the client yeah. in that sense. So you get... The best of both words in, an, in the way you understand what mental health is. Exactly. And in a way, like, I guess it makes it easier for you to help others as well. It makes it easier as well, but it also makes it a bit difficult because it can hit close to home with certain yeah. situations and with certain um, clients. There are some triggers, but it's always an honor to be able to have someone trust you enough to share that story with you. And in any insight that you may have that have helped you, maybe you can share that. I think that's the main point with mental health, sense of community and bringing people back together. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) And that's exactly why we're doing this today. So thank you. Um, Emma? Um, I'm 24 years old. I just got married. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been in and out of Mount Carmel six times. Um, Now it's been two, three months. And I'm feeling much, much better. I'm feeling very myself. I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. Um, I was diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder, um, chronic depression, anxiety, um, and PTSD because of the rape. That happened uh, 15 months ago. It happened 15 months ago. Wow, all right. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been quite a while already now. Yes. Still very fresh. Yeah. Still very fresh and nothing fresh. nothing happened yet, so it's still mm. still very Being prolonged. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very yeah. sorry that happened to you. Yeah. For and, sure. And and like we'll we'll discuss that as well today, like especially with like the delays as well that there are with kind of like achieving justice, eh, when when it comes to these types of situations. So um, I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. And Tiffany, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, I'm 24 years old. Um, I graduated in psychology as well. Um, I did work in the sector for about two to three years, but I felt like after a while it was becoming a bit too taxing on me personally. Mm-hmm. It was very, very rewarding being in the sector. Um, even, you know, the fact that you're helping people, as Leah said, you're using your own insight with your own personal experience. Yeah. It gives you that sort of like... Um, I would say a bit of an advantage because there are certain things that come naturally to Mm -hmm. you in terms of helping people and using your own coping mechanisms to teach them. 
but I felt like it was already a big responsibility to work on my own mental mental health. So mm-hmm. um, I felt like helping others as much as I, I love doing it and I still love doing it. I mean, it's very rewarding, but I felt like I wanted my career to be something other than psychology. Mm-hmm. So I decided to make a bit of a switch and I've shifted onto marketing now. So I'm doing a distance learning course in strategic digital marketing and it's going well. So we actually have two marketeers on the table <laughs> yes. today. Yes. Yes. To do as well, yes. Emma. Amazing. Okay, so thank you all so much for introducing yourselves. Um, so first off, I want to start us off by a bit of a reaction to the statistics that I mentioned earlier. So it's very evident that statistically women are much more likely to be affected by mental health issues. Why do you think that this is the case? Leah, I want to hear from you first. (laughs) (laughs) I do believe there are many, many factors. Um, Something that we really need to consider is the changes happening from COVID to now. Mm -hmm. But um, biologically, women are kind of more susceptible um, because the way their brain or their our brain is wired in a way um we are more empathic we are have much more emotional um understanding and that may although it's very very positive it's also a bit of our downfall and how it affects us yeah. because uh most of the time since we're very thoughtful we may end up in ruminating um repeatedly co- thinking of the same scenario um one thing and i think with the media use um and this is a really good thing that we're using media because most of the time it's used inappropriately or wrongly Mm -hmm. there are so many societal standards for women Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous we compare each Mm. other we literally there's these challenges to lose weight these filters that are constantly being updated and literally reform your face yeah and apart from that there's also the gender issues between men and women unfortunately in regards to men um they do stay more silent so one of the factors that shows women talk about themselves more they open up more they seek help more so statistically men sometimes are have less of a percentage because they don't reach out yeah they don't so those are the people we know about yeah so the statistics are always based on oh these are the ones that have actually spoken out the ones we know there is also the percentage of the people we don't know um apart from that there's also um high susceptibility for uh physical sexual and emotional abuse around one in four women are actually experienced some form of abuse especially in um, partner relationship abuse i myself unfortunately experienced uh, an abusive relationship and that obviously affected my mental health but um i think we're just really thoughtful people we always try to help we always try to think about each other and that's we even Maltese culture I think the mother figure the mother role at the household the housewife it's always just oh she needs to take care of every single person clean everything like this standard and now we're shifting to women at work and getting more present at work so there's a change in the identity of what it means to be a woman Mm -hmm. especially in the Maltese culture and at the same time it's like where are my roots where where am where do I stand where am I like this am I not a woman because I don't you know clean the house often or I'm splitting the roles so there's a lot of changes I think yeah. you mentioned like biology at a point and I want to ask like women have different hormonal cycles than yes. men do does yes. that play a part hormones for sure play a part for women I mean we get we all get our periods 
most of us do get our period uh, every every month. Um, recently, as in a few these last few years, the DSM five. This is like a diagnostic manual they use in America. In Europe, we usually use the ICD. I I think cut that out because I forgot what it's called. <laughs> um, but they recently introduced a premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Yeah. Um, it's actually like recognized an actual disorder for people who experience very, very fluctuating and depressive moods a week before their period. So hormones for sure play a part. And even like you're constantly developing. And now there's also the introduction of the hormonal pill or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. contraceptives that yeah. we that most of us do tend to take i mean some of us don't take them as a birth control we yeah. take them for example exactly. their dermatologist prescribes yeah. them and they give it to me because of chronic acne for example yeah. so hormones do do play a part for sure for sure yeah i think it would be a bit more complicated for women mm-hmm. than in terms of mental health i i think it's a given that men that women are going to be more affected i mean as leah said even just biologically i mean you have the hormonal cycles where you know there are some parts of the month where your estrogen levels are high or other levels are high other it's it's just mm-hmm. and then there's also the factor of it is it regular is it not regular so there's a lot going on i feel like obviously the difference in cycles the fact that our cycle is based on you know the usual 28 hormone and cycle and men's is completely different just makes that's already a very big difference mm-hmm. and i think adding on to what she said was socially I think we've got a lot of like um, situations where we are just, I would say, vulnerable mm-hmm. compared to men. Something as simple as what well, should be simple: walking at night, and mm-hmm. you know, walking alone at night. Something I genuinely do, I do not do personally. I I have a dog. I don't take him out in the evening. If ever, don't feel like like you could be safe. No, definitely not. I have this like alarm on my on my car keys, which I carry around with me everywhere. So if God forbid something had to happen. You know, depending on my flight or flight, res- flight or flight <laughs> response, I will click that alarm and hopefully someone will help. But I feel like we're definitely more vulnerable. I'm not saying that men aren't. It's just given certain social constructs, I think men, uh, excuse me, women have it a little bit harder in certain situations. Okay. Sure. All right. And Emma, what do you think? Like adding on to what they said and also like your own reaction to the statistics. I think they make sense, but... I also don't want to exclude the fact that uh, maybe men don't reach out as women. Yeah. Mm. So maybe mm-hmm. I don't know therapy-wise uh, how many men versus women go to therapy. If there is a statistic, because uh, that I think that uh, that affects everything. If women reach out more than men, then of course they're gonna get diagnosed. Uh, more than men mm. I, I think it depends really because I, d- I don't know about the statistics of how much men actually do reach out but um, what we do notice is that I'm always going to speak in regards to the Maltese culture because the Maltese culture is it's very beautiful but at the same time it can be a bit antiquated and we do really mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. our time to adapt and resettle yeah. new ideas mm-hmm. and mental health is one of those things that still it hasn't even reached the top of the mountain to actually be spoken about or considered. So I do mm. think men in that sense, um, I don't know, I'm just going to switch to Maltese. Many people, like if you, a man, a man speaks up and says, oh, I'm feeling like this. Uh-huh. Like they have all these expectations to There's be manly. so many expectations. Exactly. And at the same time, when a woman is emotional, and 
and women Definitely. are often called sensitive as uh, well sensitive and yeah. that is part of our nature it is we are sensitive it's important to be sensitive yeah. we sense each other more than men do most of the time it's that sensitivity that differs and brings us more forward to show that hey listen our qualities matter and their qualities matter mm-hmm. the difference is with this fast-paced environment that we have we don't even have a chance to actually see like oh how am i feeling today mm-hmm. it doesn't matter i just need to keep going on the next thing and next thing and next mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. most of the time people don't even ask you how are you they say what are you doing right now where are you working mm-hmm. yeah. it's always focused on how active you really are rather than how are you feeling yeah what's happened to you how are you doing today what's going on yeah i think yeah. there's a lot of focus on like the external mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like people tend to forget that just because you're doing things out there and they see you functioning on a daily and whatnot doesn't mean that you don't have your own struggles definitely, definitely. so i think that's definitely a big thing with both men and women don't get me wrong mm-hmm. um And in fact, like even, for example, certain cases of like celebrity suicides, the ones that appear as if they have it most together that actually then would have like very either bad mental health Mm -hmm. or they would be struggling in silence, like they wouldn't have that support. Do you think the approach to mental health has improved in Malta? Because like when I look back to, for example, my parents' times, like when I look at my father, like men were always expected, you know, like men don't cry you know like go to work and and with regards to women as well like do you think at least obviously that we're always going to have a long way to go but do Mm. you think that it has improved what i what i've seen uh, from experience uh when i started therapy in the beginning it was uh it was still uh you go to therapy but nowadays uh, i'm i've been very spoken about this and uh, i've seen the difference i've seen people randomly talking to me and saying yes i go to therapy as well like yes good for you good for you so i think we're getting uh, mm-hmm. we're getting more conscious about uh, mm-hmm. taking care of ourselves yeah uh-huh. for sure i think there's this idea before it was this idea like even i i think like the older generation it's like if you go to therapy oh you're crazy mm-hmm. yes No, you could have a t- go to therapy and just need to talk about your life. Maybe I always picture therapy as this really big ball of string. And when you go to therapy, they, your therapist just helps you pick out each string separately. Yeah. And most of the time, you need to go and do the work. It's not like going to the doctor and be like, hey, I'm, I'm hurting here. I have something here. Can you? What can I do? No, you need to put in the work. And I think a lot of people right now are realizing that they're ready to actually yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, we just put it away. We shove it under the carpet. We close the door. Everything's fine. And we keep on going. And in Malta, there's a lot of transgenerational trauma yeah. in that sense. And most, and we can't even blame our parents because they did the best with mm-hmm. what they knew how. And their parents did the same thing. But we don't realize how much from our ancestors is still being passed on and, and still affecting us to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this transgenerational trauma, which keeps going down from one generation to another, I feel like, especially in Gen Z, mm-hmm. there's this sort of awareness, which I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like in the past, maybe the awareness wasn't as much as it is now, or maybe people didn't talk about it rather. Yeah. Um, like I, mean, I feel like people are more emotionally aware now. Yeah, I mean, definitely social media like amped up the awareness. Yes, and COVID. Sure. And COVID as yes. well. COVID, like COVID really yeah. put people, made people realize, hey, yeah. listen, it could be you. It could yeah. be anyone. Like the statistics, like 
basic statistics is one in four people with COVID. I'm sure it increased too much more. And people had to go inward as well during that time. Exactly. Because I mean, we were... solitude. I mean, yeah. no, we, we are not, as human beings, we're not made to be alone. Yeah. yeah. And that was a really big test. Like, oh, you have to be with your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. This culture, and this is why I emphasize, like, we're so rushed. And this rush actually does not let us be present and think what is going on what am i doing i always need to keep on going and there's no time to think no time to actually feel yeah you just need to keep going because that's what it's what is expected of you yeah Yeah. and i feel like with covid the fact that like the whole world was basically going through the same thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there was that certain like relatability Mm -hmm. so for once people felt more comfortable to just say like hey i'm not okay so what If it was a question of I'm not okay because I'm alone and I know you're feeling it too because it's COVID, that's one thing. But well, in general, people just became, yeah, people we're all on the same boat. Yeah. So people became more aware. And I feel like in our generation, well, Gen Z are very like this transgenerational trauma you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it made me remember, like I see sometimes I'll be like browsing through TikTok or uh-huh. social media in general. And like you get people talking about how um, therapy has helped them broken patterns break the cycle mm-hmm. yeah like you mm-hmm. break that it was trending at one point yeah. yes it really was like <laughs> it was trending so like it was all the time like oh you have to do this and there's mm-hmm. a lot of awareness about this like trans- even when you say transgeneration trauma what is that yeah when you say, mm-hmm. what is that what, what did back, my grandma right? do <laughs> you know at the same time and it's so subtle it's it can be really really subtle mm-hmm. it's just passed on yeah. and you don't even know it because it's ingrained in you yeah and to break it's so it's a lot of work I want to move on a bit into like some personal experiences. Obviously, like whoever would like to share, I would like to start with you if you'd like. Um, All right. Do you have any personal experiences which you'd like to share today to perhaps continue raising awareness? Yes. Um, well, I'm not sure which one I should start with. <laughs> Whatever you want. Whatever you well, want. I. Uh... I went into Mount Carmel uh, in uh, 14th February of last year, in Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. Mm. Yes. And uh, uh, first impressions of Mount Carmel. Um, the transit word, because of COVID, there was this transit word. Still that, there. Still there. Still, <laughs> still wow. Um, and uh, it's a very cold and dark place and uh, the first first impressions you don't know what you, what you're going to expect you you've heard about mount carmel about this haunting place and you don't know what's going to happen what's the truth what's not and uh, when i entered they they take they take your stuff they they uh, They take your belt, they take your keys, your cards, uh, your phone, and you just have to give up everything just like that. And you have to accept and just nod. I was hysterically crying. And um, then the transit ward, uh, that's where uh, all the patients go in. At first, at first glance, the COVID, they need to do the COVID uh-huh. test yeah. until they see if you're positive or not. So, where mm-hmm. you to be moved into another ward? Yeah. So there, I stayed. Uh, I stayed uh, for a few hours, first time. Um, then uh, uh, we went to admission ward three, and admission ward three was a completely different uh, 
atmospheres, different scenario, different, uh, different stuff. Uh, the stuff was very nice. The color, the walls were colored. There were posters. There were motivational quotes on top of the wall, and this was completely, it was completely different than what I've heard about Mount Carmel. I don't want to romanticize it I, because it's still Mount Carmel. It's still very, a very old place, uh, and. Uh, but the, the nurses, uh, they are very nice, they are very helpful, they make you feel home. And uh, I remember the first time that I went to Admission War 3, I, I was crying all all the all, all time. Um, I felt like a little kid, like I had nothing on me, I had, I was still wearing my PJs. And... Uh, when I saw all the people, because at Mission World 3, I think it, uh, I think there were, it was, it was a full, a full, a full house. I think uh, around 28, oh, 28 wow. patients. Was that full capacity? Yes. Okay. And uh, the first thing that I did, I went running under the table, just like a little kid. And I started crying there. And... But then eventually I warmed up to the place. Um, and did you find like support? Like did you feel that you could have help there? Yes and no. Because in Mount Carmel, they, they, the, uh, even then when you meet the doctors, you meet the doctors, there are five people in front of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's, it's normally like, because the thing is a lot of, in, in Malta we use the, practice to teach the doctors who are mm -hmm. students are still becoming is a specialization mm -hmm. so you have the like the consultant and under the firm we have all these people trying to learn but at the same time it's the priorities for you it's very overwhelming exactly yeah. Yeah. it's like exactly. who are you don't know them you don't know yeah. them you've never met them before and suddenly you have five people like trying to medical you and it's already you know. hard enough to open yourself up to one stranger sure. let alone for let alone sure. five it's like, like have an exactly. audience in front of exactly. you yeah Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I had to go to that. <laughs> yes. Sounds intense. <laughs> yes, um, uh, but uh, they give you uh, these lessons, lectures of what you need to do, what to get better. So, for example, you make a list of uh, of the things that uh, will help you when you get a panic attack, for example. Mm -hmm. So, one number one would be going for a walk. Number two would be listening to music. Number three uh, would be drawing. But when I had a panic attack there, I couldn't go outside because the doors mm. are locked. Yeah. It's suffocating. Yeah. You, can't, you can't use your, uh, your skills to get better. It's just a transit place where the world just stops without you. And uh, you are expected to get better, but at the same time, you can't get better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very um, it's very daunting and uh, yeah like it's too detached from the real world yes. for it to actually be realistic exactly yeah exactly and you mentioned drawing before yes and so I'm particularly inspired by the way that you've used your art and illustrations to cope with your experiences and I know recently you were also part in, of an exhibition yes and I'm planning for another one amazing. as well amazing <laughs> amazing August so can you tell me a bit like how has your art and social media presence like become powerful outlets for co coping and raising awareness for yourself? I started drawing uh, 
um, seriously again because I studied art but uh, I stopped uh, doing the traditional things I started in 2019 I remember the day exactly I had a very bad panic attack and I just went out in Valletta and brought a sketchbook and started drawing and from then I didn't stop and Mount Carmel, all I did was draw because there is nothing else to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. There is nothing else to do. So I was very inspired to draw. I was very. My art is considered more as an outsider art rather than art for art's sake, because I don't create it to uh, to be seen. I create it to for the process, for the healing process, for the art therapy. That's beautiful. So. Uh, it's not meant to be shown, but then again, showing it uh, makes me feel empowered and mm-hmm. people relate to it somehow. It's, it's weird. It is a form of therapy. Yeah. It is a form of therapy in a way. Yeah. There is many forms of therapy. That's the beautiful thing because there's so many different types of therapy and until you find the one that fits you and the one that helps you. And then this way you were ther- therapeutically helping yourself exactly. in that sense. Mm-hmm. That's really, really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I you think... could find that support like for yourself and like, you know, like you have a form of release and you can mm-hmm. actually use it at whatever time you want. And it's very intimate in a way, right? It is very intim- intimate because uh, you don't do it. Uh... It's not It's not socially acceptable in a sense. But then again, it's uh, you go inside and a room and you just build your own aura and mm-hmm. you just draw your own world mm-hmm. you don't have to think you don't have to explain you just draw mm-hmm. and that helped me especially with uh, with the rape where I I felt so alone I couldn't relate to anyone there is no support group in Malta where where people can can talk about these things and uh, art helped me to share my story, to go to raise awareness about uh, about the subject, about uh, and fighting for my justice ultimately. Because mm-hmm. if I don't fight, uh, I I've lost the battle and I'm not ready to lose. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the outcome is, just know that like you are inspiring so many people out there. Exactly, I have no doubt. Honestly, whatever the outcome is, the fact that you decided to report, you decided to take that fight, I think that's something that a lot of people wouldn't do. I even think, if they I think it. it was, it was uh, I had to report because if I didn't report, um, he was working in Mount Carmel. So even mm-hmm. the fact that he was working in Mount Carmel, uh, he's the night carer. Um, makes the place even more haunting yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you were in mount carmel after after the rape happened yes yes i met he i met him on uh, my admission to admission to and then after that uh, all four admissions were because of the rape okay because of the panic attacks uh, and the ptsd it was very bad um the longest I did was one month inside, wow. and that was the last admission, um, where I was also transferred to a short stay in Gozo. So now my care is in Gozo, which is different mm-hmm. in a sense that uh, um, in Gozo, the short stay, the Mount Carmel in Gozo, 
um, is very clinical. It's very mm-hmm. clean. It's mm-hmm. hospital. Okay, it's, okay. it's very hospital yeah. feel. It's it's part of the hospital, so it's literally a hospital. Um, but uh, it's different in uh, in Mount Carmel. There there is a more a sense of a community. Mm-hmm. You get to know the people. You get to know. Uh, the stuff there's more of a rehabilitative sense yes yes yeah. in gozo not so much mm-hmm. it, it's very interesting because between malta and gozo even though we're so close like 30 minute boat ride you, yeah. you can know them. yeah <laughs> um, it's you've like, got it in residence <laughs> it's so close and at the same time in malta we're behind but in gozo we're even more behind when it comes to mental health and it's really really worrying and it's concerning that just the smallest island that's literally so close to us can have such a big difference still. And for us to apply that there, it's very interesting. And I I know a lot of people from Gozo and I know a lot of people who unfortunately experience problems with their mental health. And it, they do try the best they can because they do have a sense of community. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... um. When it comes to this subject, it's still very difficult to talk about and to bring on the table mm-hmm. to say, I'm not feeling so good. Mm-hmm. Because there's still, I think, I'm not saying anything against Go, so I love you guys. <laughs> but uh, I still think like there's this um, gradual and very slow progression. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I mean, it feels like more of like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. I think even more yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Even more sometimes. So uh, I want to move on to you, Tiffany. Like, I want to see if you have any personal experiences that you'd like to share. And I've also noticed, which was one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on the show, is that, like, you've similarly been raising awareness on social media recently, um, especially on the side effects brought on by benzo use. So you were first prescribed the drug at the tender age of 14 years old, right? And you're currently in the process of getting off of them after 11 years. Yeah. So, yeah, what's your experience been like with that? Oh, God. <laughs> it's been um, life-changing, in one word. Um, I mean, it's been quite the process. I mean, getting on the meds, I was just a child. I was yeah. 14. I was a minor, so certain decisions I couldn't even make myself. And even if I could, I was too young to even understand certain things. But I do remember opening up to my parents, telling them, listen, I'm struggling. In fact, one of the things you mentioned at the beginning was the statistics with regards to Mm self-harm. I was surprised it's that high. Um, Because 10 years ago, when I was 14, because I'm 24 now, I, I think I was the only one in my school doing it. I could be wrong, but let's just say I felt like I was the only one. I had bandages, I would cover them up and... It just, it was very difficult socially. And then apart from that, I had to be put on a lot of medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the doctor who put me on this medication, whatever the intention was, I just don't agree that a 14-year-old or anyone of any age should be put on so much medication. I was put on antidepressants. I was put on benzodiazepines, antipsychotics, and I was taking about two and a half to three sleeping pills a day. Oh, wow. I was a walking zombie. I don't, I I don't even remember that part of my life. To be honest, it's like, it's like more flashbacks. Yeah, like it's it's, a, it's quite a blur. It, I think it's just the narrative that keeps it alive to mm-hmm. me because I was on so many 
meds at the time that like I think it's normal that I would forget but just to cut like a really long story short um about three or four years after I started taking them so I was around 17 18 mm-hmm. um I started thinking do I really need these meds like okay I was still not mentally fully fully stable as in the way I would react to things I had a lot of rage in me and whatnot but I felt like all that medication was a bit unnecessary. And I remember um, confronting this very doctor and he kept telling me, oh, I know you the most. I know that you need them. If there's anyone that you should trust, it should be me. So I kept trusting this doctor until eventually I thought, this is not going to take me anywhere good. And I I, I kept changing doctors from then. I kept changing psychiatrists. I went to therapy. I was... It was just a long battle because I was trying to better myself because I had my own traumas. Mm -hmm. I've had my fair share of traumas. So I wanted to work on that. So I've, I, at the time, at that age, I put the meds on the side for quite a long time. And I just kept taking them because it became such a routine. Morning, afternoon, evening. Same thing. It was normal to you, like? Yes, completely. Like the same way. You have to take them every day. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time. Exactly. I have to. Like if I never missed a dose in my life and I it's sad to say my life because it's literally been like the most part of my you're life you're so young still. yeah, yeah still I'm, very I'm, young. I'm only 24 and like the fact that I don't know what my normal body like I don't know the way my body would function normally without, without. the drugs you know yeah. and it, it's it's sad to say because I was very scared that like getting off the meds would reveal a different personality, a different Tiffany. Like, who is Tiffany without the meds? Yeah. Essentially, I went on them when, you know, puberty hit. 14 is young. Such a transformative time of our lives as exactly. well. Exactly. So at 14, my body was developing. I was developing mentally. I was starting to grow up. Mm-hmm. But then the meds kind of like dulled everything down. So now I'm at a point where I made the decision two years ago that I want to get off them. Because it was a slow process, I imagine. Yes, it's very. And there are a lot and a lot of, um, apart from side effects, there are a lot of consequences. So me making decision to get off the meds, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to get off them. It was more of like, okay, Tiff, should you stay on them so you don't risk withdrawals and fatalities? Or should you get off them, risk it all, but then you know, possibly have a brighter future, a healthier future. And I chose that. It took me a year just to make the decision. And I spoke to the psychiatrist that I'm going to now. Mm-hmm. It's not the first one, just to clarify. Um, and he is so, so, so supportive. I, I spoke to him and he looked into different ways of tapering, we call it, which is reducing the meds. Yeah. Um, we looked into different tapering methods. I... I, I, I explained to him what I would think is the best option for me. He looked into it, he confirmed it, and the ball started rolling from there like six, seven months ago. And so, what's the timeline looking like? Like, at which point do you think you'll be completely off of them? That's that's the big question. I mean, a rough estimate, okay, I was I started getting off them in December. Okay. So it again, like we're saying, it's very gradual because mm-hmm. of withdrawals. Um, as it's looking now, I'm almost I'm almost halfway through. But the closer you get to the end, the more intense the withdrawals are. Definitely, 
it's it's like my last reduction was already I already had some like symptoms I've never experienced before like random loss of vision oh, apparently wow. it's normal oh wow mm-hmm. I like who's gonna tell you this stuff like I got to know all this stuff about long-term benzo use and the effects that it can cause through online groups on Facebook with essentially older people who have been on it for like 20 30 years and are now at 60 70 years old realizing the effects like i don't know anyone my age globally yeah who is going through this let alone a malt so i can't even speak for a malt i'm speaking globally this is a very 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 like tiny niche yeah like the fact that my psychiatrist had to for example go into this ashton manual we call it mm-hmm. the stapering method the fact that he had to verify it and see that it's legit says a lot like i feel like a lot of psychiatrists know how to prescribe mm-hmm. even gps prescribe mm-hmm. benzos at this point i know so many people who say oh my gp gave me a 10-day course that's really bad <laughs> and it's so bad biologically i had to learn how these it things work me so much <laughs> yes and like and I've, I've gotten so many friends who've got who, who have gone through it and it's as it to a certain extent, yes, they may prescribe certain medication, yeah. but given that they don't have the specialization, yeah, they have exactly. not studied enough about it, you should not be in a place, you should be in a place where like, listen, I may know about this medication, but I'm not a psychiatrist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like I've experienced it, yes, given the medication that my GP had given me was the same my second psychiatrist gave me, but still... The initial was, listen, I need a psychiatrist, someone who has studied thoroughly about psychiatric medication. And still in Malta, we're, we do still have the idea, but even in the, in, in I'm going to mention culture again, but in the people within the community, a lot of people, oh, I'll go to the doctor, mm-hmm. it's not the same with mental health. Mm-hmm. It's just, just pop some pills and we're going to be fine. You need to do the work. Yeah, and this has to be a combination of meds and therapy i feel like people either go to just therapy which is completely fine Mm -hmm. but what i completely disagree with is just taking meds if you're Mm going to take medication go to therapy as well they have to work hand in hand a healthy life apart from that you need to be because if you're going to therapy and you're going to take the meds and then in your day-to-day life you're not doing anything that benefits you're not working yourself on yourself you're not reflecting then what's the point yeah there's a lot of active effort that that needs to be put into it it literally needs to be one of your primary focuses it's a whole lifestyle really right like like food exercise sleep like these things all play a part in our lives and i think as well you mentioned it before like we're living a very fast life Mm -hmm. and that sometimes makes us forget completely the basics like these are the basics Mm -hmm. like i'll be honest when you asked me what's it been like for you and i told you it's been life-changing it really has the fact that i had to stop work so i i lost that routine the the daily hustle and bustle you know like it's it used to be so busy for me i would forget about myself like i don't have work right now i am studying a master's online Mm -hmm. because i felt like going abroad would be a risk so I mean, Malta's small. Let's face it. If God forbid something had to happen, I could go to Mother Day in a few in, in minutes. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have to wait hours. And at least you have the free healthcare as well. That so if too. something does happen, you at least yeah. you're covered yes. by that. And I've gone to the ER multiple yeah. times. It's Can I ask a bit? Like, mm-hmm. are there certain withdrawal symptoms that might actually throw you in hospital? Yes. Like yes. what? Or most of them, honestly. I just. <laughs> Fortunately and unfortunately, I've learned how to handle them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, back in 2020, I 
tried reducing benzos, but I wasn't using the tapering method that I'm using now. So looking back, I'm realizing that I tapered way too much back then. Like I could have, I could have died essentially. I got around 25 seizures in oh, wow. si in three months. Yes, it was like even just saying it out loud, I can't I can't even believe it myself because I became so used to them. Like I would make a reduction and then a few days later, I'd get a seizure. The day after, a seizure. So it was literally like 10 days of seizures. I did this three times. So we're talking 25 to 30 seizures in a summer. It was very box. intense. <laughs> wow. It was so intense. But like, like I remember going up to my psychiatrist. I told him, I know you're trying to help, but listen, I'm, I'm scared I'm going to go into like cardiac arrest, man, with all these seizures. I mean, my nervous system is in overdrive every time. Yeah. Yeah. So this was with your new psychiatrist? that you were getting the seizures still or when yes. you were doing it on your own? Yes. Oh, with the new psychiatrist. With the new psychiatrist. So you're but still being monitored. You're being monitored and you're doing it mm -hmm. properly and you still get, yeah, of yeah. course. But now, thankfully, I haven't had seizures, thankfully. Thank God. <laughs> because we're using a very gradual tapering method yes. where we're, when I say we, I mean me, my doctor and my support system. Um, we are very aware of how the method is. We know what it's like, how when to make a reduction. I know how my, I know my body more than anyone else. You know, like I've gotten neurologists diagnosed me with the most absurd things. And I tell them it's my benzos. Thank you, but no, thank you. Like that is what I find in terms of mental health in Malta. This is what I find very frustrating. I have found myself in so many situations where I have to be the one educating doctors. Yeah. It is very, very frustrating. And I'm not talking just like, I mean, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a psychiatrist, a neurologist, people at Mother Day, it's so frustrating to have to teach them. Mm -hmm. And then they, they hit me with, Melon to Tabiba. I'm like, And before you that. mentioned as well that you were getting most of the information that helped you from support groups online, All not from your doctors, right? All of it. Like my boyfriend thankfully found a forum about, it's been over a year now, and he told me, join it, see it. It's called Benzo Buddies. For anyone out there, right? <laughs> but it's like, even that, the website is so old school because the people running it are older. Yeah. But then I started looking on Facebook myself. I found these groups and I have chats. We have Zoom sessions, which are weekly. Sometimes I go, sometimes I don't. But I don't That's know good, anyone huh? in Malta going yeah. through this. No. So... I, I know people around um, much older who are on benzodiazepines. Um, unfortunately, like those who are younger, um, I'm not, still not sure, have been switched to more modern medication because mm -hmm. we have been, up, like medication has been updated to a certain extent yes. where we're using modern medications. So. But still, the process from changing one to one medication to another, it's still a lengthy process still. Yeah. I had to change mine before I started tapering. Mm -hmm. I had yeah. to change brand because yeah. the one I was taking before was too hard to get off from. Like now I'm at a point where in two reductions, I'm going to have to start using a scale. Which oh, is wow. like so alien to me. I'm like, because it needs to be so precise. Yes, down to like point zero point zero zero something. Wow, wow. So it's quite a wow. process. Leah. Yes. <laughs> so um, I've had my personal struggles with mental health. Um, when I was a, a young, I was always a bit of an anxious child myself, but. Um, when I was younger, I did go to through depression around fourteen and. 
I want to mention this that um around I believe there's this statistic like around half of all people who are diagnosed with mental health around 14 and over most of the time get uh-huh. diagnosed so at the age of 14 it starts to come out uh-huh. obviously with puberty there are many factors transitioning changing schools and stuff like that uh-huh. with my own personal experience um i'm actually diagnosed with ocd um it's an anxiety disorder um, um I, a lot of people when they hear ocd oh she's a clean freak or she's like that <laughs> it's not necessarily the case but misconception eh? there's a lot of misconception and one thing that I, oh my god i cannot stand for the life of me when something happens like oh i'm so ocd <laughs> people like, throw out these things so fast like or or for example i heard last time on, i don't watch it i'm told you respect but i'm loving in malta oh sorry not loving malta sorry. <laughs> on love island, <laughs> on love island uh, someone called someone oh you're so bipolar and we can't yeah. be using this but uh, in regards to my experience um Yes, I was in a very abusive relationship um, that ended during COVID. But then exactly when I got my freedom, COVID lockdown came mm-hmm. in. So I was like, oh, reflection. It was a new challenge. <laughs> yes, it was a new challenge. But I really thank COVID because it really gave me that time to be with myself and say, oh, I cannot go through this anymore. Mm-hmm. And having been in that abusive relationship, I realized I need to change. There are so many things. I need to change the standards of my life for me to have settled for that relationship um today i'm much better i still have my struggles um to be honest at the end of last year i felt like i was going through a depressive phase again and i needed to seek out help unfortunately the person i seeked help from um who's a psychiatrist um i was quite blinded and i wasn't i wasn't i'm very very meticulous on who i choose and Mm -hmm. i do my research but i was really really desperate to be seen um I was prescribed medication at 14 that turned me into a zombie. Like you said, I was an absolute mess. I mean, you and me were in secondary school. I used to skip school yeah. all the time. I used to have yeah. side effects at school. That happened to me as well. My stomach was terrible. I couldn't, I used to shake, like pulp. I once remember I, at school, I was sent um, by an ambulance to the hospital. Oh, and God. it was just really, really bad panic attack. But I thought that panic attacks actually resemble like a uh, heart attack. Yeah. they're the same symptoms so you really do feel like as if you're having a heart attack studies show <laughs> um, experience too <laughs> and uh, right now I, I, I'm really working working on it I mean the studying psychology really really opened my eyes it's like one of those courses where you're not just studying you really have to go in deep everything's a trigger everything's going to be like oh my god what am I learning <laughs> I'm actually have, then I have to be assessed about this or there's an exam um, but now I'm doing much better. I've changed psychiatrists. The person I'm seeing now is very, very supportive of, of my journey. Um, I am on medication as well. I do wish I'm not on medication, to be truthful, but it is part of the process. Yeah, It is part you have to go through. And now working in the sector like full time and going to my psychiatrist myself and being in the chair, I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the other side right now. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like my first psychiatrist, he actually made fun of me because he was like, I was doing TMS, TMS therapy, it's like a transcranial magnetic stimulation. Uh-huh. And there's this big business going on in this private setting. And unfortunately, not many people know it's offered for free. Uh-huh. You can get a referral and you can get the treatment for free at Mount Carmen. So you may hear like, I was told that it can fry my brain, I'll turn to toast and stuff like that. And the psychiatrist I'm seeing now, he's like, 
no way. <laughs> so I'm actually going to start the treatments properly uh-huh. and uh, at Mount Carmen and see that. But I want to urge the public to know there is free, there is this free service that you can do because yeah. it's very, very expensive in the private. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've mentioned Mount Carmel again and we already yes. had Emma talking about mm-hmm. it. And as someone who works as a mental health recovery officer, you've had your fair share of actually working at Mount Carmel, right? I, I most of the time I do accompany some of my clients when they have their psychiatric reviews. If their psychiatrists are still at Mount Carmel, naturally we have uh, clients who have been admitted. You go, vi- I do go visit them. Mm-hmm. I've never been admitted myself, thankfully, yeah. and I'm I'm very glad so far. <laughs> um, but yes, I have seen Mount Carmel on the inside. And um, uh, what are your thoughts about it? Like, as someone who has both experienced struggles with mental health and as someone who also works within the sector. So you've pretty much like seen both ends of the spectrum. It depends on which area on Mount okay. Carmen because they've, um, a few years ago, they opened the halfway house mm-hmm. and it's a really, really well renovated house. It's very up to date. It's very beautiful. It's very therapeutic. And that's exactly when you go in. When you go into the Mount Carmel, I mean, Mount Carmel was built like 162 years ago. We were talking over like a century. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it was built like in 1861. And the fact that it's still up and running. And like, as you said, it's so old and it's so haunting because one thing that really I do not like because, okay, it's what we have. Fair enough. It's what we have and it's what we can make do of. But as soon as you go into Mount Carmen, the first thing you see outside before you get into those gates is asylum for the insane. Sorry. (laughs) And the fact that this is still an up and running hospital. And to this day, we've moved so far from institutionalization to rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And the fact there's institution asylum for the insane, like. And you get so frustrated because when you try to fight about, like, listen, all you need to do is remove it. Just, I don't know. I would get a sculptor myself and I'd go scratch yeah. it out if I could. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that would be damaged to property. I'm not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not into that right now. I mean, my opinion with Mount Carmel and, and the staff, um, I do feel the staff are burnt out to a certain extent, given the circumstances of the state. And obviously, you're working in mental health, not because, let's forget the resources, you're working in mental health. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect you. You see some of the worst people in a way that in their worst moments, mm-hmm. and that is so difficult, not worst people, I'm saying, <laughs> in their worst moments. Yeah. And that can always affect you in some way. Yeah. Uh, but I do uh, believe that most of the staff at Mount, Car- at Mount Carmel are doing the best with what they have yeah because at the end of the day most um that what the most of the people i cannot generalize obviously you're going to have those one-offs where they're not good people and that is very sad and we find them everywhere but when we're talking to mental health and we're talking about rehabilitation mm-hmm. we do need a new hospital we do and the fact that most of it is being um closed off so there's construction going on there's works going on that's not really therapeutic. I don't know. I live in Malta, and as in all of you do, everyone is affected by construction, let alone in a very rehabilitative place yeah. where you're supposed to get better. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be peaceful, eh? It's supposed to be. And it's it's really sad because the area is actually really, really beautiful. There's a lot of gardens that you can... If it 
they had the time to renovate it, but yeah. at the same time, where are you going to put the people there? Yeah. And they keep saying, oh, a new hospital, new hospital. Ideally, we would have a hospital near Mother Day. Yeah. Because we need to reconnect the idea that it's not just medical. We can't look at mental health from the medicine aspect. We cannot anymore. Mm-hmm. We need to look at the therapeutic aspect. Mm-hmm. We need to reconnect the mind and the body and really, really conform them together and look at them together rather than just, oh, I'm going to give you some medication because I know that medication is going to do this. No, you need to. It's a trial and error process. And yeah. that's why a lot of people give up or are scared to go Mount Carmen. I mean, even in Malta, we say, like even the story about Franconi is in it's it, the first actual uh, mental hospital so to speak uh, was in Floriano and it was after um, Franconi who was a cavalier mm. and uh, the story of how they ended up in Mount Carmen at Tatar it was at the middle of the night they tied all the patients to their beds and some of them in cages and they walked it from Floriano to Tatar because back in the day, Atart was like in the middle of nowhere. There was fields. Yeah. Even like when you go to Mount Carmel, it's quite a long road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There it was all fields. Before. In fact, it's still all cut off like to this day. Like, it's, it's still not very so, cut off. It's yeah. still very, like, there, very cut There aren't off. any houses next to it. Like, no, no. Or right now there's Central like a main road. But <laughs> so. All of you, I think, um, have spoken in some way or another about your mental health on social media. And I want to ask you first, Emma, um, do you find talking about your mental health beneficial or detrimental to your health? Like, have there been any instances where it was actually harmful? If I'm being truthful, yes. Because being out there and talking out loud on what you're going through is going to make some people talk. And... uh, that talking uh, might not be as uh, beneficial as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, it's not just uh, the people. It's also um, talking to, you both mentioned uh, the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. um, finding the right, uh, the right doctor. I had one doctor saying, the first doctor that I went to, he said, I don't know what's wrong with you. You seem fine to me. I don't know why you're depressed. You you seem okay. <laughs> it's kind of very invalidating, I feel. Yeah. Especially you kind of want to be heard. Yeah. Especially you want to be heard in an appointment, not with all these exactly. things. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So all these uh, all these remarks uh, they've sent me back to Mount Carmel, unfortunately. Um, but also, um, talking out loud about it has also helped me. Um, open up and finding support ultimately because mm-hmm. there are so many people that support me at the at this moment at this time that I don't even know but they they reach out mm-hmm. and they help without without their knowledge maybe because um it's just one one really short message but uh, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. little thing counts and have you ever had instances where people actually felt comfortable opening up to you because yes. you've been vocal. Yes, yes. And that's very therapeutic, even for myself. Because we find each other mm-hmm. in a sense that uh, um, we're connecting. Mm-hmm. So there is this relationship, even though we don't keep, uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to keep talking about it. But uh, um, there's still, uh, you're, you know, that you're not alone. And that's uh, enough. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And Leah. 
Yes. <laughs> like, I want to hear your thoughts about it. Also, as someone who works within the sector, like, and even you, Tiffany, will will get to you soon. Could raising awareness ever become detrimental to whoever is speaking out? Hmm. I think yes, because we all know the good and the bad of social media. And from my aspect, like, I always... I, I really want to be more vocal and I really want to bring more awareness because I feel like I have the information and the research. I'm I'm very research-based as a person. I, I try to be at least. But I feel... Yeah, detrimental. Yeah. I do think... It's a very, uh, it's a very annoying question to a certain extent. Sasha, Sorry. No, it's okay. I mean, it's an annoying question in the sense that, yes, it can be very detrimental because at the same time, you don't know who's listening. I mean, mm-hmm. even when you invited me to be on this podcast, I was like, oh my God, how personal am I going to get? Mm-hmm. What am I going to say? What am I comfortable to say? Because what I may be vocal about, how, what I'm comfortable with, may not actually necessarily radiate or be understood in the same way i'm trying to get it the point across mm-hmm, yeah. and a lot of people are like oh already there is so much good in reaching out i remember when i was experiences and i was at my lowest i felt like i had absolutely no one to relate to i did not know where to go i could feel like oh my god i am so alone in this I don't know what to do. So I like, I vowed to myself to a certain extent, like I'm very open about my experience because I've dealt with it. I've made peace with most of it. I'm still making peace with some things, but I made peace with most of it. But at the same time, yes, you need to be very, very careful. Unfortunately, there are cruel people. Mm -hmm. There are people who enjoy or take some sort of gratification for making you feel worse about your experience or they invalidate or they feel like their opinion somehow is they take it personally. Mm-hmm. And I find that so... Per- I'm like, mm, that says more about you if you're taking it personally. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. Um, I think there is... There needs to be a lot more laws mm-hmm. and a lot more regulation. And I do respect you because you're my friend and you're a journalist. But I'm speaking in general that I do feel there are so many articles sometimes and they are handled so inappropriately mm-hmm. without the consideration of how m- many people it can affect, even with graphic images or certain details or the information of certain people. I think there, and it's not about like the news outlets because at the end of the day, it's not really your fault, but mm-hmm. it's like the higher order that exactly. needs to regulate you. And I've unfortunately had people who found out, for example, the death of a loved one through social media. Mm-hmm. And Imagine finally your father has passed away from the news rather than being informed first. Mm-hmm. I, there needs to be some form of leeway, like an, at least a respectable time before it's out there on the media. Mm-hmm. And when a person uses their own experience on the media, I think they need to be very, very cautious. Especially, for example, everyone has a right to their own cell phone. But at the same time, for example, within the disability, you need to consider the amount of insight or the amount of what actually is out there on mm-hmm. social media because a lot of people are bullied and unfortunately we've had clients who were bullied on social media and it's very very saddening it's really like it's disgusting it's absolutely yeah. disgusting because you try to do something good you speak about your experience and then at the end you have people still telling you how bad it is mm-hmm. and how you should have not done that it's like mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. so it's it's a bit of a 
سكينه اللي طقطه من جوج نهار هاي تيك I feel like I've always been somewhat open on social media. Mm-hmm. Now maybe I've been a little bit more open because I I opened up about this whole benzo journey. Um and I would say this is the most open I've been on social media and I personally am comfortable with it because like Emma was saying, you know, sometimes people message and say, "Oh, I'm going through something okay in my case not the same thing but something similar mm-hmm. like say I'm trying to get off for example my antidepressants or I would like to get off um certain medication like what helped you or listen for example someone messaged me just yesterday saying listen I'm going through um I'm I'm currently facing a certain symptom um I'd rather not say but um it's a hard it's a very difficult symptom and mm-hmm. This guy told me, listen, do you know anyone who's been through it? And I told him, I have. You know, so it can be very empowering knowing that mm-hmm. you are helping people. And yeah. I think the best messages I've gotten, for example, are when people say, thank you for sharing this. Like, sometimes a simple thank you goes such a long way. Like, thank you for sharing. You have inspired me. Or you are helping so many people without knowing, you know, like these things help. But there's that double-edged sword. Like Leia mentioned, I feel like there could be, there are instances where it does work against you. Personally speaking, from my experience, um, so far, so good. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> But like, I'm sure that there are people out there who see my posts, see my stories and think, uh, she's just looking for attention or... I don't That's know. I, I don't even know what they could health. think. Yes. Always... With mental health, it's like, I don't know how people could think these things, but... Uh-huh. I've heard things about me before I even opened up, so let alone now. Mm. Um, Very sorry. It's, it is what it is. I mean, no, I know you, what you my truth is. You hear these things about you. You're going through a bad time, and at the same time, like, yeah. you re- do you really need to say certain comments? Like, yeah. what's it to you? Like, if I'm going to share my story, yes, I'll share my story, but it's my story. Don't turn it into yours. Yeah, I feel, like, going to play I feel like if you're going to be public about something, you kind of need to be prepared. Yes. It's sad to say, but yes, you do need to be prepared that you're going to get negative comments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think there is a time and place for everything because I've seen people who have opened up or tried to open up on social media and you could see that they are not ready to. And I would just want to reach out to them and say, listen, can you take some time for yourself and, you know, heal a little bit more before you try to go public about it because you're going to get one negative comment that's going to make you spiral. And you open yourself up to a lot. Like, yeah. I experienced it as well because I've become more of a public person. Mm-hmm. But, like, you are constantly under scrutiny. Like, yes. you can do whatever and you'll always find someone to criticize you. So, especially when you're opening up on something that's so personal to you, mm-hmm. it can be it can be quite difficult to actually deal with the reactions. Um... um Ladies, we are actually coming to a close. So, Goodness, uh, <laughs> yes. So, I am going to ask all of you, um, um, like, what are your closing thoughts and advice, and like, what's your message to people out there? Emma, you want to start? I want to just say this little verse: "This is hard, but you can do hard things," and that's a, that little comment and that little quote has gone. I've passed uh, so many things with with just that quote, and 
I think it's uh, it's uh, it is what it is. But eventually, we need to f- get help. Mm-hmm. We need uh, we need to go to therapy, and uh, there is nothing wrong with reaching out for help. You're just one call away, one one message away from getting help, and it doesn't make you any less of a person for asking for help. We don't need to put more negative thoughts out there, negative feedback out there. Mm-hmm. There's already there's already a lot out there. We just need to give a little love. That's it. Oh, yes. that's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Leo, what's your message? Um, I know it's, it can be sound, uh, sound a little bit cliche, but you are not alone. There are so many people ready to hear your story. And if unfortunately you've met people who are not ready to hear it or shut the door in your face, like one of the models at work is if you don't get through the door, you get through the window. Exactly. <laughs> and, and my dad, or my father always added something. Exactly. <laughs> so there's always a way. Um, my experience, it's trial and error and don't give up. It does get better. It really, really does. Uh, unfortunately, you really need to put the work in it, but you owe yourself And you need to honor yourself enough to get that help because you do deserve it, even though. And there are people listening. I mean, there's 1579, which is the health, uh, national helpline now. There's 1770. There's OliChat. There's Kalimni.com. There are people here ready to hear you out. No doubt. Your story deserves to be heard. And you don't need to go through this alone. You really do not. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Tiffany, you should never rush. I think you should seek help if you need it. There is nothing wrong with seeking help. It doesn't make you weak. You are more than enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, as I said before, there is a time and place for everything. And what I mean by this is don't wait for yourself to spiral down mm-hmm. before you reach help. I feel like that is something that happens a lot. Like there is nothing wrong with going to therapy. There is nothing wrong with taking meds as long as things are done in moderation, things are done right, you're putting your effort into it. I think there's a lot that can be done. And if you're willing to help someone who's cr- who came crying to you saying, listen, I'm sad, please help me. Why wouldn't you do that to yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, this is something which I always say. If you have, if, if someone came to you with a problem, I feel like you would help them. So why don't we help ourselves the same way we help others? Yeah. Like we we totally deserve what we're ready to give others. Like and treat sometimes your, we need that yeah, reminder. For sure. Treat your mind as if you would treat a broken knee. Exactly. Literally. Exactly. If you had a broken leg, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's uh, we'll get yeah. better. I'll go to work. <laughs> no, you need to treat your yeah. mind and do take your dress days. If you're yeah. sick, and I mean not physically, mentally drained, you deserve to take your off days. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ladies, thank you all so much for joining today. I'm pretty confident that this discussion is going to help um, other women out there and uh, I'd like to thank you all for coming thank, thank, you, for you. Us. thank you thank you thank yeah, you it was a lovely discussion cheers cheers cheers, cheers. <laughs> thank you, you know, thank this, you guys.